So one time somebody asked me, what is the difference between preaching and teaching? And I don't remember what I said. I don't remember what the answer was. But um, as I was getting ready for this sermon today, I was like, man, Westminster, you do not need preaching on 2 Corinthians 9. So I'll give you some teaching, but you, you do not need the preaching. So preaching is motivating. Teaching is instructing, right? Y'all don't need any motivating. I got to say that first off. So um, 2 Corinthians 9, we talked about 2 Corinthians 8. So 8 and 9, remember how 2 Corinthians is really kind of like 3rd, 4th, and 5th Corinthians. And there's a lot of historians that think that this is actually three different letters that, are, that they kind of just arranged together. Because they were delivered at different times. They were written in different ways, in different circumstances. And we don't even have 2 Corinthians because he's referring to another letter that he wrote previously. It's not 1 Corinthians. Are you confused yet? Is this crazy? But if you were making an outline, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are kind of their own topic, kind of their own thing. And so we did the first half of that last week. Second half of it is this week, 2 Corinthians 9. And in Jerusalem, there's been a famine. There has been a famine. There's uh, historical evidence of this. All kinds of people in Jerusalem are hungry and starving, not just the Christians. The Christians get it worse, just like when gas went up to $4 a gallon that didn't really affect us very much, the Sullivans. Um, it really affected the guys that are pulling lawnmowers down the street mowing people's yards, right? It really affected the people who are putting $5 of gas in their tank whenever they get gas. And $5 only gives you like one and a quarter gallons. So when the famine hit Jerusalem, it affected everybody, but the Christians were the people that were being put out of their homes, that nobody was doing business with them, that they were at risk and being hated at the synagogue, so they were being put out of the synagogue, and so they were suffering even worse. So Paul is taking up a collection, and he's been traveling around all these Gentile places where he's planted churches, and this is his third missionary journey, and we talked about this in Acts. He went to all these places where he had already been, and then he went to places that he hadn't ever been, depending on the route, and he's collecting money to take back to Jerusalem to help support them and to help them. It's also a gift because the Jerusalem Christians always had trouble letting Gentiles into the church. It was always a little... Oh, yeah. They, they had the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. They said, well, okay, we can let them in. They just can't eat raw blood. And, you know, they gave them a couple rules that were kind of the same rules that Noah had to follow before the Ten Commandments. But they still had, still had a couple rules on them. You don't have to become Jewish, but you can't be this pagan. You've got to follow a little bit of this if you want to be, if you want to follow Jesus the Messiah. And so this money from the Gentiles 
dropped at the feet of the former Jewish, now Christian church in Jerusalem is going to show them, wow, God has opened the door to the Gentiles, not just by the Holy Spirit and in tongues and in gifts and in prophecy, but they're actually sending their money. Like uh, one person called it their foldable self. Your money is your foldable version of yourself because where you put your heart, that shows what you love and what you care about and what you want the most. So Paul is writing, and in 8 and 9, he's talking about this exact um, gift of money that the Corinthian church is going to send to Jerusalem. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, It is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. He's basically said to Macedonia and Achaia, man, the Corinthian church is so generous and so giving, they can't wait for me to get there for them to give me money to take to Jerusalem. Like they are the most generous people you have ever seen. So then Macedonia is like, well, they're going to be more generous than us. Not necessarily. It's not that manipulative. It's not that evil. Paul's just talking. Okay, but I am sending the brothers. So Paul sends some brothers ahead so that our boasting about you will not prove empty so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and they find you're not ready, we would be humiliated. You would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you to arrange in advance for the gift you promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. Okay, so he's sending guys ahead. He's like, I know you guys are generous, but I don't want to show up after bragging about how generous you are with a bunch of Macedonians and be like the Macedonians saying, I thought you said the Corinthians were generous. They aren't ready for us at all. All right, so let's bring this to real life, current day. There's a thing that happens at our house. The phone rings. Boop, boop, boop. We answer it. Cindy or I answer the phone. Hey, I was wondering if I could come by and say hi. You know, somebody from out of town. We've got 15 minutes. We can come by and say hi. We're like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Sure. We're, we're all here. We'd love to see you. And we hang up the phone. And the whole house springs into action and we run around the house like a bunch of savages. One time, literally, Cindy and I, we had so much tension, we just ran to each other, we held each other's shoulders, and we went, ah! just to get it out. And then we laughed our heads off and ran around the house and cleaned everything up. This is what Paul was doing. He is sending Titus ahead so that the Corinthians can have their little the Apostle Paul is coming and he wants money. He thinks we're generous. They are generous and he is coming and he does want money, but it's just, it's all genuine and it's all organic and natural. So he's trying to, he's just being ridiculously practical here to say, Hey, I want you to get ready, get ready for this. This is a classic. Um, I've heard all kinds of sermons on giving and 
and tithing and all that business. And, um, and, I've, and I've seen all different forms of it. I've seen the people, all of a sudden it's offering time, scramble for your checkbook. How much are we gonna give this week? I don't know. Did you get paid? Did you get overtime? I've seen the conversation happen in the pew during the offering while the usher is coming, like slow impending doom down the aisle. I've, I've been in meetings where the people said, somebody said, if, we get, if people give online, they don't have anything to put in the offering. So can we print off little tags, little cards that say, I gave online, so that when we pass the plate and the other people in the pew look at me and I'm not putting anything in there, I can put I gave online in there so they all know that I gave online, right? Gosh, we're a mess. The whole point is about to happen right here. This is just, this is the, 2 Corinthians 9 is just so good about what is the whole point of all this giving and, and what are we doing? The point is this, it starts in verse six. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So if I was a good prosperity preacher, I would stop right there. And I would just let that be it. And I'd be like, if y'all want to reap bountifully this week, just start rolling in those 20s. Come on. No, this is not what this means at all. That is like near blasphemy to turn this into a verse about give money so you're going to get blessed. Um, it might be outright blasphemy because that that is so much close. That, that is right. Oh, all right, we're going to preach for a minute. Um, witchcraft is manipulating tangible items so that you can control deities. And so anybody that preaches that you can control money around and so control God is preaching witchcraft. So preaching time is over. But it's witchcraft and it's evil. But this is in the Bible. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. I suspect you have. Where you gave something and you were so happy to give it. And this could be anywhere from letting somebody borrow your pocket knife to giving tens of thousands of dollars to somebody, right? Um, there have been times in my own life where we had an opportunity to give something. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, do we really... Is this crazy? Are we nuts doing this? Is this the right decision? Is this foolishness? And then we, and I'm, the time I'm thinking of specifically, we gave it and it turned out the person didn't need it and we got it right back. <laughs> but it was also awesome because there I was and, and I grew in the Lord so much of, wow, I was willing to do this. For the Lord, out of love for the Lord. And it wasn't, there wasn't any bitterness in it. There wasn't any compulsion. I really was a cheerful giver. And, I, and then I was like, no, you do need it. Take this. And, and they didn't need it. 
And you really see that happen once you do it. And you don't know it and you don't feel it until, until you do it. And sometimes if you think about it and you don't do it, then you won't feel it at all. And I think that is a perfect interpretation of whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. When you risk generosity, when you risk sharing and giving things, you're more likely to reap more blessing and more awesomeness and greater experience and a deeper walk with the Lord. Um, the time thing about we were going to give a, we were going to give one of our cars away, and I remember after that they didn't need the car, and I got the car back, and I love that car. Then I drove that car, and I was like, "Wow, I was going to give this car away. This thing is a piece of junk. I need to fix this. I need to fix that." And I started trying to put a little bit into that car so that when I would give it away, I would be giving away something nice. Isn't that wild? But all that grew, all that was motivated by the Lord. It wasn't, I want to fix up my car so I look cool when I pull up in my 96 Toyota Camry. No, it's, I want to have a good thing that's good to, to, to loan out. Give as you have decided in your own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, we, we know about the same thing, this reluctantly or under compulsion, right? The kid is at your door and they are selling chocolate chip cookie dough and it costs $17 for this little tub. And the kid's so cute. That's compulsion, right? He is threatening you within an inch of your cuteness in your life. No, um, not reluctantly. So if you think, oh, but I can't do that, Lord. The very next verse, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you're abound in every good work. There's a different way to translate this. This sufficiency business, like it makes it sound like you'll have everything you need. Right? This verse, you'll have everything you need. God will give you everything you need so you can abound in every good work. It's actually not that happy. It's better, but God will give you contentment. God will give you satisfaction. That's what that sufficiency word in there. So if you give away and you're generous and you're giving and you're sharing, you will not be able to buy as cool as stuff. But you will be more content with the things that you have. The things that you are able to buy. I remember there were days in Central Asia, and I tell the story all the time. A day would come, and our house would just be miserably cold, you guys. It would be like uh, 42 degrees inside our fridge and 32 degrees inside our kitchen. So we would have leftover food, and Cindy would just like put shrink wrap on it and sit on the counter because it would stay colder on the counter than it would in the fridge, but the rats could get to it on the counter, but that's another story. We didn't have rats when it was cold. Um, and I could spend the whole day working hard, 
on getting our house warm. And I could run to the bazaar and I could buy this gas heater and I could go and get this gas tank and get it filled up and figure out what the world kind of gas I just bought and am I gonna blow my house up and rig all this up through the window and, and get all this and now it's all set up and we can turn this on and now we have heat and we can go to sleep and we're comfortable because this heater is blasting and we're warm. Or I could go out during the day and I could just talk to a whole bunch of people and I could pray for people and I could share the Lord the way that I was able to. And I could come home and I could share those stories with Cindy and she would be like, that is awesome. I got to. And then she would share her stories of talking to this person and talking to this person and talking to this neighbor and all the ways that we got to share. And we would go to bed and it would be 32 degrees in our kitchen and it would be cold, but we would be so joyful and so pleased with the conversations we were able to have that day and the things that we were able to do that it didn't matter. Which one would you rather do all day, right? I mean, you don't want to die. So some of it you do have to make your house get up in the 40s. Um, but the same way we taught our kids how to sleep with sock hats on. Um, we gave them empty RC bottles full of hot water when they went to bed to hug so that they would fall asleep with those warm things. But then you had to sneak in and pull it out so it didn't suck all their body heat out of them during the night. I don't know if that's possible. We worried about it. God is able to make you absolutely content with what you have. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having contentment in all things and all times, you may abound in every good work. There's a, a joke we make at work sometimes is what would you do? What would you do if you couldn't get fired and all your you just get paid for whatever? You know, how would you, how would you work on this if there's no risk at all and you're just going to get paid a gazillion dollars for it and just do it. And sometimes we get really creative and we do some really creative stuff. We do some even better things. What if this was, what if we applied this to our Christian lives, right? What if everything would be provided for you? You don't have to worry about going broke. You don't have to worry. You know, what if I, what if I share the gospel with this person? What if I just said, you can't lose. You know shame will come upon you. What if we went what if we went and prayed for people and we just said, guess what? For the next 24 hours, everything you pray for will be answered instantly. What was that? What if that was our attitude? Wow. Where would I go right now to pray? I mean, I'd just like barge into I'd I'd go to John's house. I'd go to the hospital, right? If everything you were going to pray for was going to be answered instantly. What if that's true? What if that could be? God will give you complete contentment in everything and you'll abound in all good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He's talking about the Lord. The Lord gives all this freely. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Wow. Okay, so in the Middle Ages and 
around the time of the Reformation, people were selling indulgences. If you paid this much money, you would get out of purgatory and you'd go to heaven faster. And that is just crazy. But what if I told you that there's a way that you could take your money and you could buy thanksgiving and prayers to the Lord? Because that's what this is saying. And this, this is true. You, you guys probably find this to be true too. When you take care of somebody, when we, when we, give, when we give corn to Ozanam, there are people at Ozanam, they don't know who we are. They have no idea. But they know that God has provided for them. And so we buy corn, we give it to them, they give it to people that need it, and those people praise God. Those people are thanking God. Thank you, God, for this corn. So now all of a sudden it turns into, wow, okay, so I can pay some money. Do you, do you see how this, this kind of shifts the ideas of giving and donations on, on its head? If I love God and I look at him and I praise him and I want more people to praise him, that could move me to buy a whole lot more corn to donate to Ozanam where I know people are going to worship him, Right? You watch these videos of people that get the Bible for the first time in their language. Have you seen these? If you want to cry, uh, get on YouTube and search for people getting the Bible in their language for the first time. And like there's this village of people and a helicopter comes down and they've been waiting for it. And they've been working with the translators. And now the Bible is finally translated into their language. And they're like holding it and crying and kissing the cover of it. Well, somebody donated money to Wycliffe or whoever to translate the Bible. People donated their lives of working to translate the Bible. And now those people get it. And they aren't worshiping the Bible translators, right? They're not worshiping the people that sent $10 a month to donate for Bible translation. They're praising God. They're worshiping God. And so that's what... You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. What's he talking about here? This is the Jerusalem church. It's like, I don't know about these Gentiles. I don't know about these Corinthians. Have you seen their leather? I don't know if they can become Christians or not. And Paul is going to show up and be like, these folks love you guys. They care for you. They're worried about you and your famine. Here's a zillion dollars. This is how they will glorify God. While they long for you and they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. So I've got two other things that are in this context that are in different parts of the Bible that would have been on all these people's mind. And I think they're really applicable to us. This is in Deuteronomy 15. So Deuteronomy 15 is the giving of the law. 
And this is God instructing the Jewish people. You're going to form this whole new country. This is the, this is the Declaration of Independence. This is the Bill of Rights. This is the structure of the government in Israel. And here's how I want, this is, God says, here's how I want you to handle poor people in your new country. Because in the past, you've been in Egypt and you've been, you've been prisoners, you've been slaves. You, none of you was responsible for your own possessions because you were possessions. None of you have been responsible for your own government because you were tools of the government. You were like a fork truck and a rocket. You weren't people. And so now you're going to come to Israel, this promised land, and you're going to be people. And here's how I want you to deal with poor people. So this is Deuteronomy 15, 7. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you. <laughs> I always think that's funny because it's like if there's any poor people in the land that you live in that I gave you for free. <laughs> oh, right. Thanks for the reminder. You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Isn't that wild? It says lend, lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. So if you got a poor person, there's all kinds of things that are between the lines in here. Because if, I, if I'm going to lend somebody what they need, I'm going to have to know them. I'm going to have to know how they got into this spot. How did they get poor? What do they need? And I'm going to lend it to them in a way that they can pay me back. And if they don't have means to pay me back, then we're going to work together to find a way that they will be able to work and pay me back. All of that is hidden in that in that statement. So it's not, I'm going to throw a quarter at you. Bing! There you go, poor person. Now I've taken care of you. That hasn't done anything, right? Oh, there's a poor person among me. I'm going to get to know you and I'm going to open my hand and I'm going to lend you sufficient for your need, whatever it may be. Take care that there's not be, there be... Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother. Okay, so this is talking about the year of Jubilee. The best time to borrow $20,000 from Jim is like a week before the year of Jubilee. Because then I get his $20,000 and I get to, you know, blow it. And then two weeks later, oh, it's the year of Jubilee forgiving all of the debts. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Don't be like, hey, don't be mad. If Mike comes and asks me for money, and I'm like, oh, he is asking me for money, and he knows tomorrow is the day of Jubilee. I'm never seeing this again. I'm never getting this paid back. Which would be brilliant and dirty. Don't think that. Don't let your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing because he will cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. What? The one sinning here isn't the poor person asking for money. 
How much in our culture are we mad at the poor person that's asking for money like they're the one sinning? But in this scenario, the one sinning is me not giving money. Yikes. Deuteronomy 15.10, you shall give him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give it to him because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. There will never cease to be you will never cease to be have poor people in your land. So, okay, wait a minute. God just said, if you go into the land I give you and there's a poor person, here's what you do. But then he flips it and he says, you're always going to have poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. There's always going to be circumstances that make people poor. There's always going to be horrible decisions and horrible lifestyle choices that make people poor. You're always going to have that. It's not something you give up because the poor people are going to change. Different people are going to be poor. Some are going to be. It's not always going to be this whole group of people is always going to be poor. Open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in your land. I, I was talking to some guys this week and uh, I had just kind of this crazy. I said, what if churches didn't have benevolence anymore? And we were just doing the thought, the thought experiment of this. Because a lot of times when people, and this happens here, you know, people are down on their luck, they need something. They come to a church because they know people at churches are generous and they ask for money. And I said, what if it was just known that churches did not have benevolence but individuals had benevolence. And so if you wanted money to pay for your rent, you had to talk to a specific person and become a friend of the person at the church because you'd become part of the community, right? I mean, we're, we're all here and we're all together. And if we had a need, if somebody presented a need, we would bend over backwards to meet that need, to care, to take care of each other, right? When some, a stranger comes in, everybody's like, I don't know, who is this person? What do they want? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to get? All those questions happen because we don't have the relationship. We don't have the fellowship and the friendship built. So you're always going to have poor among you, but keep your hands open to them. Get to know them. There was a guy came to my house one time and he needed 20 bucks for gas. My car is out of gas. I need 20 bucks. I said, dude, take me to your car and I will fill it up. Let's go. Why? Because I didn't want to just give him money. If he really genuinely is car is out of gas and he needs gas in his car, I can give him 20 bucks. Easy. No problem. I think he was drunk and he wanted to get more drunk. And I didn't want to pay for that. But I did want to get to know him. I mean, I'm, I'm open to get to know him more. And um, it ended with him being really mad at me and not trusting him because he wasn't telling the truth, right? There's another guy that came to our house and um, he wanted some money and, and he wanted to work. you know. I'll, and I had some yard work and some stuff and I was like, here's the deal. I'll give you 10 bucks if you can do this. And we talked through what I wanted him to do and it was 10 bucks. This is like four years ago. And um, 
And I handed him the 10 bucks. And I said, when you're done, just sit the shovel up by the side of the house and come back anytime because I might have more work to do and that kind of thing. And then I left. And he did a terrible job. And he left as soon as he could. He took his $10, put the shovel up, and he vamoosed. What's really sad about that is if that guy would have stuck around and been my friend and like built a relationship with me, he probably could have gotten $10,000 out of me over the course of a couple of years, right? Just because of, of care and friendship and how, how all of that works. Let's not take the easy way out of generosity by just giving people money. Because when Paul took up this collection, he was getting part of their lives, the lives of the Corinthians. The, the Corinthian church was showing their whole life was all in with the Jerusalem church. So this section can be a whole lot about money. And I want you to, and it's very practical because he's saying, get your money together because I'm going to come and I don't want you to be embarrassed. I don't want the Macedonians to be embarrassed. Get your money together. But there's also this whole level of, it's not just about money. It's about, I see the Lord and I see how awesome the Lord is. And I want the Lord to work in your life too. And so that's why we're not just going to throw money at you but we're going to invest our whole lives in you. Now, is that going to cost us a whole lot more? Yes, because it's going to take a whole lot more time because <laughs> it would have been a lot easier to just give that guy 10 bucks and send him on his way. I really wanted to get to know him. I really wanted to develop, develop a friendship with him. So what happened? So Paul shows up to Corinth. They give him a ton of money and he goes to Jerusalem. Do you remember what happened with this money? He paid for four guys to get their heads shaved and to do their oath and to provide for people. Um, remember that that would have taken a whole bunch of money. We don't know if it came from this collection or from the money that he earned while he was traveling around because he didn't have to he didn't have to take money from them to pay for his own way. And so the other the last thing I want to say about all this is there's this whole thing in us and in our culture, and it's not totally wrong. That when we give money, we want to make sure it goes to something good. And we want to make sure it's useful. And that's the business side of American capitalism influencing the church. Because what the, Paul was telling the Corinthian church to do is don't demand an account of what happened with the money. Just give the money to somebody you trust and then it's theirs. And it's between them and the Lord at that point. So nobody, nobody demanded Paul give an itemized budget of what he did with their money. It was pure thanksgiving and gratefulness and encouragement if they heard about what happened with the money. But otherwise, he's asking them, give me the money and I will take you to Jerusalem. And you might not ever hear from me again, but you're trusting the Lord and you're trusting me to do something with it. And so that all applies to us today. Sometimes there's people on the street and they ask you for money and you're like, ah, if I give it to them and they go buy a bunch of booze with it, am I in trouble? And it's different every time. 
If every scenario is different, you've got to do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. But I don't see anywhere in the scripture where God is angry at people for caring for poor people and then the poor people go do something stupid with it and God brings judgment on the people that were generous. The people that spend their money poorly, they, they have to stand before their own master. They, they're going to testify to God for their own stuff. And guess what? Jesus died for their sins. And if they believe that, the judgment's going to fall on Jesus and not on them. Sometimes the question is, are we going to be generous? And it's not a matter of, I'm only going to be generous to people that are going to spend my money wisely. Forget that, right? Am I going to be generous? That's the question. That's the end. And it says here that the more generous we are, the more God blesses us. And the more the Lord is able to make us content with being poor. <laughs> So that that throws a little bit more mud on prosperity theology that the Lord will bless you with contentment in being poor, the more generous you are. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all that we have been given for absolutely free. And we just want to respond to you, Lord. We do not want to be fools with the gifts that you have given us. We do not want to spend the salvation that you gave us for free. We don't want to spend it like fools. Uh, the Holy Spirit that you gave us freely, we do not want to spend like idiots. And the wisdom that you give us freely without asking, without, without judgment, you give us wisdom, it says in James. Lord, we want to use that wisdom to bring you glory in the best way. So show us your ways, Lord, and help us to, to discern how to do these things and how to, how to help people that are poor. We love you, Lord. Amen.